0: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Sarah Dowdy,
1: And I'm Deblina Chakraborty.
0: And it's getting pretty close to Christmas, so we thought we would provide you with a fun holiday episode. Last year, Katie and I did something on Saturnalia, and that was a blast. So this year we're going to focus on Christmas, and... A year ago, too, Smithsonian Magazine put together this list of real-life Grinches. It's really fun. It included everybody from the British officer who ended the Christmas truce in 1914 to DJ Dick Whittinghall of KMPC in Los Angeles who refused to play Elvis's Christmas album even when it was uh big smash hit.
1: That's just mean.
0: Yeah. But the number eight entry on the Smithsonian's list did a lot more than just refuse to play Elvis hits because it might corrupt the nation's youth. (laughs) This guy canceled celebrations, Christmas celebrations for England, Ireland, Wales, and Scotland and enacted a ban that lasted for years and years.
1: Yep. We're talking about Oliver Cromwell. But the thing is, he really didn't actually do it. Yeah, at least not personally. But we still want to find out, why would someone cancel Christmas? Yeah,
0: why? So, to understand that, we've got to go back a little bit and at least provide a general background on what was going on in the mid-1600s in England, because of course, we have civil wars, we have the king being executed, We famously have Cromwell himself ruling for a time before the Restoration. So we're going to go back and sort of (laughs) cruise through that and take things from the perspective of our Smithsonian-ranked Grinch, Oliver Cromwell.
1: He was born in 1599, the son of minor nobility, and in his youth, he experienced kind of a crisis of faith and emerged a Puritan.
0: Yeah, and he toyed with the idea of immigrating to New England for a time, Um, but... That fell through, and eventually he was elected, partly because of these Puritan connections he had made to the short parliament representing Cambridge. And before we go on from there, I feel like I should give a little explanation about the short parliament. That would be good. It can get kind of confusing. so. So the king would call the parliament, and for a long time, the king, Charles I., chose to not call the parliament. He just didn't want to deal with them. But eventually it came to the point where Charles, who, by the way, is the grandson of Mary Stuart, had to call parliament because he needed money and he needed money for wars. And he was hoping that parliament could allocate
1: some money for him. But but the parliament had other issues on its agenda. And so soon the short parliament was followed by the long parliament. Which had this awesomely terrible power of being the only body that could dissolve itself. So it basically it could go on as long as it needed to without yeah. the king saying anything at all.
0: So this kind of means trouble for the king and a lot of uh, a lot of possible wars brewing. So the division between the king and this parliament started in 1642 and it was Cromwell who emerged from this division as a really strong political and military leader. So it's kind of surprising in the midst of this possible civil war brewing that one of the things on parliament's agenda was to clamp down on Christmas celebrations and their main point was that Christmas should be kept as a day of fasting and a day of reflection, not as a feast day, and certainly not as this holiday that stretched on and on and on for well over a week. So why why did they have an issue with Christmas in the first place?
1: Well, as the Anglican Reverend Henry Bourne of Newcastle put it pretty concisely much later, Christmas was a pretense for drunkenness and rioting and wantonness. Yeah, that was the way he put it. So that was basically the reasoning behind it. And those pagan incorporated traditions that might have helped attract Christian converts centuries earlier, feasting, dancing, singing, all these things were looking pretty sinful to some 17th century Puritans, especially because of that name, Christ's Mass.
0: Which had a lot of um, Catholic undertones. Very to it. Catholic. Um So. 17th century English celebrations, okay, I mean, if we're going to go with what Henry Bourne of Newcastle says, sounds like things were pretty bad, but they weren't too different from how a lot of us celebrate Christmas today. December 25th was kept as both a religious and a secular holiday. You know, people would take time off from their normal work. They might attend religious services. They'd visit with their family and friends. They'd feast. They'd drink. You know, they'd have a good time for a few days.
1: Decorations.
0: And, yeah. And the party would go on until 12th night. So all 12 days of Christmas with some intermittent shop openings and closings in there. Um, but, you know, there are a few elements that you can <laughs> you can see the Puritans
1: maybe honing in on. You know, gambling, for instance. Yeah. And something called mumming. Mumming. Which was basically cross dressing and going door to door indulging in various vices.
0: Kind of like a Halloween variation, I'm imagining. That's what it it sounds like to me. Um, So, you know, the Puritan Parliament was looking to make some changes here. And that's even though Charles I, who was still king at this point, supported traditional Christmas festivities, traditional celebrations. So these changes they start to suggest. One is that Christmas, get rid of the mass part. Christmas could be christ Tide, which is kind of difficult to say. And <laughs>
1: Maybe why it didn't catch on. Doesn't really
0: sound very good. Yeah, that doesn't ever really catch on. Um, the best way to celebrate christ Tide was by reflecting and by fasting. So stop feasting stop drinking, start fasting.
1: And they could also start fasting the last Wednesday of every month. The idea behind this, according to the Cromwell Association, was that eventually Christ tide would just be another fast day. It would kind of blend
0: into the background. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so Cromwell proved remarkably successful in his military command. And by 1643, he had persuaded the House of Commons to form a new army, which is called the New Model Army, to fight the royalists, try to end these civil wars. And meanwhile, Parliament, which was getting more and more control, waged its own battle against this Christ-tide celebration (laughs) that was very stubborn and persisted. And because they had more power, they were starting to actually pass ordinances
1: by this point. Yeah, it kept getting stricter and stricter. Definitely. In 1643, to emphasize the fact that December 25th was not a time for celebration and leisure, the long parliament met on Christmas Day. So like we're working, you shopkeepers should keep your shops open and laborers, you should just go to work like always. Exactly. And then the next year, Christmas fell on the last Wednesday of the month which was a mandated fast day, as we mentioned before. And Parliament reminded the country that Christmas was just for fasting and remembering the sins of people who had turned it into a feast day.
0: Yeah, and by early 1645, the new Directory of Public Worship ruled that all feast days, so Christmas, Easter, Saints' Days, they were all illegal, and the only true holy days were Sundays. But so that was the only day that you should... Um, take time off from work and observe. So later that same year, later in 1645, the First Civil War finally ended when the last of Charles's field armies were defeated. Um, At that point, Parliament is thinking, well, we don't need Cromwell's army anymore. And they tried to disband the army and they tried to do so cheaply. And Cromwell, if anything, was incredibly loyal to his own soldiers. So he wasn't happy about this. And he stood by his men. He left London, you know, had this had this break with Parliament, left London and spent the next year trying to reconcile this now three-way split, the army, the king and Parliament. And Cromwell was seriously afraid that England might plunge into anarchy if these parties couldn't be brought to terms.
1: Right. He, He also kind of loses respect for King Charles when the king escapes honorable custody and seeks help in Scotland.
0: Yeah, Cromwell had sort of been putting his faith in Charles, you know, like, if you go along with these negotiations, I'll go along with them. Um, At at that point, you know, Charles is a lost cause for Cromwell. And Cromwell ends up being one of the many men who signed Charles's death warrant. So, all right, at that point, the British Isles became a republic or the Commonwealth. And Cromwell spent the next few years trying to end the civil wars and squashing out the extreme Puritan rebellions and launching these sometimes very bloody campaigns against the Irish and the Scots. And the Long Parliament, meanwhile, I mean, I don't want to make it sound like <laughs> they didn't do
1: anything else, but the Long Parliament is back in London. Still reinforcing these bans on Christmas. Yeah. Uh, 1647. There was an ordinance confirmed um, that abolished the feasts of Christmas, Easter and Whitsun. Which was like a summer festival. Right. But also there were a few concessions made to the occasional party-loving working man. And that was that the second Tuesday of each month was a non religious secular holiday. So they did get their their time to let loose a little bit. If you if you had the second Tuesday of each month free, you could throw a little feast for yourself, I guess. These
0: these days are so random though. You know, the second Tuesday of each month,
1: last the last Wednesday. Wednesday.
0: I mean, I don't know. It, it seems like it would be hard to get into it. Um, so anyways, by 1653, Parliament had been purged and they handed over power to Cromwell himself as Lord Protector. And Cromwell ruled England with help from a council of state and from a parliament. Um, and although we don't have evidence that he himself helped pass this Christmas banning legislation, the rumor persisted. And as Lord Protector, he certainly did support the ban, support the existing ordinances that had already come into effect and their reinforcements. But not everybody was into these bans. We we shouldn't assume that just because these laws were being passed, people went along with them.
1: Right. Truth be told, most people were still clandestinely celebrating Christmas, or sometimes not so clandestinely. In 1656, some MPs complained that they slept poorly on Christmas Eve because of all the preparations of their neighbors, and because all the shops were in fact closed. Yeah, when they
0: were on their way to work. I think yep. those might be their real um, Grinch list, guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the shops were closed, and it's Christmas um, the Lord Mayor of London was often asked to ensure that the city shops stayed open December 25th, and it was apparently a difficult task because people had other plans. They didn't want to work. Every right. single day. Um, so Cromwell held on to this position as Lord Protector for a few years. Um He even refused uh, to accept this offer of the crown. And he finally died in 1658. And after that, things kind of fell apart without him under the leadership of his son. By 1661, Charles II was restored to the throne. So the monarchy was back. And, of course, at that point... We get a clean slate. Charles II wipes out all of the Protectorate-era legislation, and including the Christmas legislation, of course. And uh, he returns to celebrating Christmas the old-fashioned, festive way. Um, but, I mean, we've
1: got to give Cromwell a break, too, I think. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he wasn't a total Grinch. He readmitted juice into England. That was very nice. He also set an extremely high standard of conduct for clergy as well as educators, and he opposed capital punishments for all but the most serious crimes.
0: Yeah, it's interesting. He's a devout Puritan, and one of his goals was to set up a Puritan church, but he was very tolerant of other religions. He didn't have a problem, as long as he didn't celebrate Christmas. (laughs) Um, And despite that, reputation and some of, you know, I mentioned the brutality in Ireland, especially, and in Scotland. Uh, He raised the international profile of England a lot. He, He definitely had the country's interests in mind when he was negotiating internationally.
1: Yeah, but he also managed in there to raise the international profile of Puritanism. So if you thought that Christmas in England sounded like a big downer, then just check out what we've learned about christmas in massachusetts bay
0: yeah so in, the in colonies
1: <laughs> it sounded
0: it sounded bleak in massachusetts bay colony in 1659 its general court ordered that people found celebrating christmas would be fined 5 shillings celebrating by taking time off or feasting or doing something like that and the ban lasted for 22 years but effectively it existed throughout New England, and it lasted a lot longer than 22 years. I think Boston didn't really recover from (laughs) this ban for about 100 years.
1: And according to Christmas scholar Stephen Nissenbaum, just for an example of some of the strife that went on between the people living there, the ban occasionally led to some violence. Um, In 1679, four men from Salem Village caroled in a guy named John Rowden's Orchard for some pear wine. And he refused, and they didn't take it so well. Yeah, I think they asked, like,
0: was our singing worth some Perry? And he shouts out, no, it's not. <laughs> um, so I'm not sure if this is, like, a great example of Puritan Christmas in Salem, or maybe just, like, a case of really bad caroling. I guess we'll never know. I guess we'll never know. <laughs> so <laughs> this is a, kind of unfortunate, but we have to mention it. It's probably the least festive way to end a Christmas episode, but... Unless you're a fan of the podcast. Unless then you're a fan. <laughs> Maybe it's a totally appropriate way. If you like exclamations, keep listening. If you're ready to go celebrate or eat your dinner, you should probably stop listening now.
1: <laughs> so when Cromwell died in 1658, his body was supposed to be interred at Westminster Abbey. But the embalmers did such a bad job when they were preserving his body, and they were going to, there was going to be months between his death and the state funeral, he had to secretly be interred well before the actual ceremony.
0: Yeah, so the coffin was put in Westminster at the state funeral in November 1658, but it might have been empty, or maybe... Somebody else was in there. Um, so after the restoration, Charles II obviously was not going to let Cromwell stay in Westminster Abbey where we have great leaders buried. Um, no. so he had somebody, and I mean that as two separate words. Maybe Cromwell. Somebody. Maybe Cromwell's body. Maybe not Cromwell, exhumed from the abbey, hung at Tyburn and beheaded, and the body part was buried under the gallows, whoever it was. The head this part's really gross, y'all. The head was put on a pole and it topped Westminster Hall for the rest of Charles the Second's reign. So gross. Yeah, I think I'd rather have a light up Santa on the roof for my festive celebrations. <laughs>
1: I would have to agree with that.
0: Um well I guess that's about it for (laughs) Yeah, but happy holidays. I know know that's such a cheery way to end it. So um yeah, happy Hanukkah. Actually it's Hanukkah when we're recording right now. Happy Kwanzaa, happy New Year's, happy Saturnalia. Whatever you celebrate. Merry Christmas. I think especially to people living in the former Massachusetts Bay colony. Merry Christmas. Yeah, live it up.
1: (laughs) Enjoy yourself. So if you have any weird Christmas traditions or interesting Christmas traditions, as the case may be, if you can outdo mumming or singing outside someone's house to get wine, um, anything that you practice or just know of that you want to share with us. Hit us up. Um, we're on Facebook and on Twitter at Mist in History. Or send us an email at podcast at howstuffworks.com.
0: Yeah, and if you want to learn a little bit more about Christmas and where a few Christmas traditions came from, I wrote an article a few years back called How Christmas Works. And you can find it on the homepage by typing in "How Christmas Works" at www.howstuffworks.com. For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. To learn more about the podcast, click on the podcast icon in the upper right
1: corner of our homepage. The HowStuffWorks iPhone app has arrived. Download it today on iTunes.